Welcome back to Twigs on the Rocks. I'm Leo Blonder, the Save Lovage, and in this episode, we will be recapping round one and predicting round two of the NHL playoffs. This episode is special not only because this is a playoff edition episode, but also because it is featuring my good friend who has been on the podcast a couple times, Justin Horlick. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you back on the show, and this first round has been amazing. Why don't we get started with, with the first series? We'll talk about the Boston Bruins versus the Washington Capitals. So first game of the series, Washington takes the first one in overtime, down, tips it a great shot, and scores. Leo, why don't you tell us about the second game? Second game, Boston, you know, they're down 1-0. They need this game. They can't lose to Washington. They cannot go down 2-0 against the Washington Capitals. What happens is the Bruins, without three minutes left, score. I'm pretty sure it's Taylor Hall. They tie the game. And then in overtime, 39 seconds in, Marchand scores a one-timer. Beautiful pass from Grizzly. One time that passed um, – who, who's the goal? Was it Sam uh, – no, I think it was Anderson. Game two, yeah, yeah it was Anderson. Beautiful, beautiful shot. And uh, that really kind of seized the momentum for Boston. They ran with it, winning the next three. But uh, second game – or sorry, the second win for Boston, they did win 3-2 in overtime. Craig Smith scored on a Samsonov and Schultz miscue behind the net. It was very nice. Boston, again, came from behind. They tied the game uh, 2-2 with about eight minutes left. It was beautiful by now. And then by then, they're up 2-1. They got two more games. Justin, you want to speak about those games? So the next game, we had Boston in Washington game three. Just an enormous game in, in general. Kind of see who takes the, the driver's seat in the series. Samsonov and Schultz have a miscue behind the net. Craig Smith, the always underrated, takes advantage of that. I'm not really sure how you guys even signed Craig Smith to that $3.1 million deal worth three years, paying him 3.1 average annual value. That's a little confusing to me. He tucks it into the back of the net. Boston is going crazy at this point, and the Bruins are up 2-1 in the series. Yeah, they've been, and after that, they sort of just took that lead and ran with it. In uh, game four, Boston dominates with a 4-1 to win, and McAvoy notches three assists, and every Bruin has a great game. I think the, the first line had uh, two goals on them. or Well, the first power play line had, I think, three goals, and the second power play ha- had another, but there was just so much action all over the ice. They went three for five on the power play, but it was a chirpy game. Washington went one for seven then, so it was intense. It was fun, though. Oh, yeah. Some horrible calls against the Bruins. Like, I mean, yes, they have not been very disciplined, but also some completely terrible calls. I mean, the NHL clearly wanted Washington to win this. I'm not just saying that, like, as a Boston fan, but some of them were just completely, like, god-awful calls. Like, they were just terrible. Like, oh, horrible. I mean, in fairness, the Bruins have not been very disciplined. They have taken three too many men on the ice penalties in six games which is not very good. Five games here and then one against uh, New York, which is pretty bad. But Boston did end up hanging on with their great penalty kill, good power play, and then they ended up winning game five by score of three to one. Bergeron got two, Rask with 40 saves. Just classic, you know, Bergeron uh, led their team. He's the captain. And yeah, it worked out. Boston ends up winning the series 4-1. Yeah. So then our next series, we had the New York Islanders and the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'll take game one. Considering an ex-devil, 
for the past five or six years has mainly was the story in game one, Kyle Palmieri scoring two goals, including the overtime winner on a pretty unreal shot on Tristan Jari. Islanders go up one nothing in the series in overtime. And it's a little shaky because you question Jari's goaltending in game one, and that continues to be a theme throughout the series. Yeah, and then looking at that on game two, the Islanders beat Jari for two in the first. And then in the second, the Islanders try to manage to try to come back. They score one in the second, but then Pittsburgh defense actually shuts them down with a with so they with a goalless third. So they end up winning two to one. And then Jari makes thirty seven saves for Pittsburgh that, that night. So like he, he's been going back and forth. He's been a little shaky, Leo. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, he, he went a little shaky back and forth. But on the other hand, Sororkin actually did go 4-0. Uh, the 10th goal in NHL history to start off 4-0. And the first one, Islanders history. So that was pretty cool. Islanders take the next game. They're up 4-1. Or, or they, sorry, they win 4-1. Tie the series 2-2. And, you know, the Islanders, they were outplayed in honestly six out of these six games. Maybe five out of these six. But they did end up winning four of them, winning the next two. The next one in overtime. OT winner by Josh Bailey. It was kind of nice. Um, sorry, second overtime winner by Josh Bailey. It was a really, really nice goal. And, um, yeah, so at this point, they're up 3-2. Uh, critical game six. Justin, want to talk about that? Yeah, critical game six. I'd say this one has to do with Tristan Jari. Just a, just a really bad game by him. I believe he let up like three or four quick ones in a row in the, in like the second period, it might've been three in the second period. The, the Coliseum was absolutely rocking. You were hearing chants the entire game. It was somewhat like a premier league game in a, for soccer. It was pretty incredible atmosphere there. And the Islanders took it to them. Anthony Beauvillier, really the star of the game with two assists in a goal. He's been hot so far these playoffs, which the Islanders really need concerning he had a bit of a slump this year in the regular season. Yeah, and then going back to your point on Tristan Jari, yeah, I think it's like when letting up these crucial goals in this final game, he it was a lot of his goals that he just let up on the glove side that he just kept blowing it, and it just wasn't good. And then also, like, there was a lot of, with the fans you were talking about, a lot of pressure. By the end, they were chanting, we want Boston, we want Boston. And after they just kept scoring and scoring on him, What's really interesting about the Jari situation is that this was something that Pittsburgh tried to address in the offseason with trading Matt Murray, as Murray's glove hand was always an issue in Pittsburgh. And they had, <clears throat> and they replaced him with a younger goalie, Tristan Jari, who's looked good before. And now when he gets to the now when he now he gets to this regular season. He has some really good showings, and then he has some really shaky showings, especially giving up six goals to a almost college-level New Jersey Devils team, which is a little suspicious. And then he comes out into the playoffs. He has maybe one game where it's really good with thirty sevens, with thirty sevens, but uh, saves, but not too many high danger percentage chances in that game and in the rest of the series it's his glove glove side high it was it was a major it was a major issue throughout the series 
Yeah, and in my opinion, Pittsburgh kind of put themselves in the situation by letting Fleury go in the expansion draft. And not only – right, it's not like, oh, like Fleury's wash, whatever. Like, I, they, I think they were thinking, like, well, Fleury and Murray, they're about the same, but Murray's a lot younger, so pick Murray. The issue is Murray's significantly worse. Um, at the time, they thought they were about the same, but Murray's not nearly as good as Fleury this season. Fleury's really having a Vesner caliber season. And reports from last offseason were saying that Pittsburgh was trying to retrade for Flurry. So I think that's pretty funny. And they just couldn't get a deal done. And that really bit paying or that really bit Pittsburgh in the butt because Flurry, as I just said, is having a Vesner caliber season, leading the Golden Knights. And the downfall of the Penguins this season was their goaltending. Yeah. Um, so- all right, we're gonna move on to the next series. We got Tampa versus Florida. The Battle of Florida, or of Southern Florida. Um, this one, Tampa took 4-2 in total. But, you know, a lot of people were saying that Tampa was the favorite, even though they were the lower seed, especially like, also like with Boston, Washington. But, um, yeah, Tampa jumped out to a hot start. The one game won 5-4, point scored late to win. It was back and forth. It was I loved watching that game. It was, it was so entertaining. And, yeah, that put Tampa up 1-0. And in game two, they uh, they went up 2-0 after winning 3-1. to Vasilevsky played great, 32 saves. Yeah, and then going over to game three, this game goes into overtime. The Florida Panthers won 6-5, and Ryan, Ryan Lomberg wins it in overtime. But I would say the way these series is going, even though sometimes this, like the, the series was a six-game win, but every game has been back and forth closer than it thinks, even though that Tampa was a heavy favorite at the lower seed. Florida still like they've been shooting many like so many shots per game, and they've been playing great. Their goaltending was a bit shaky, but then they brought in Spencer Knight. He had a one great game. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And I'd say it was a it was much more hard hard fought series than I would have expected. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. But the most important game in this series was the Tampa six two victory when Sergei Bobrovsky just did not look like the prime Sergei Brovsky we saw in Columbus, especially in that Boston series. I know you guys had your hands full with him, frustrating how good he was in that series. But over the past two years with the Florida Panthers, Sergei Bobrovsky has just not been himself. He's recorded uh, career lows in the last year's and in the playoffs this year. According to Money Puck, there was a 95% chance that the Florida Panthers would come out victorious, and they lost 6-2 on the back of Sergei Bobrovsky, and he certainly hasn't been good. Yes, it hurts that the Panthers are missing Aaron Ekblad, but their defense is already really good, especially highlighted by extremely underrated defenseman Mackenzie Weger at the helm as well. Sure, it hurts that they're missing an Aaron Ekblad, but like Sergei Bobrovsky has to perform better because the Florida Panthers are way too good to be flaming out in the first round. And I thought the Florida Panthers had a really good chance against the Tampa Bay lightning, but the next uh, with the Tampa Bay six, two win and the Tampa Bay four Oh win in the shutout. I feel like Tampa Bay had this pretty convincingly, even though it was in six. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Tampa, I thought, like, oh, like what you just said, they had this pretty convincingly. But also, I mean, Vasilevsky, on the other hand, right, I mean, Bobrovsky played – I mean, he played well in their win, I'm pretty sure. Or at least, like, 
I remember they started Bobrovsky and they went to Drieger, even though Bobrovsky played well. And then they went back to Bobrovsky after they lost. So it's kind of weird. But anyways, Bobrovsky's in there. He sucks. But Vasilevsky on the other side played extraordinarily well. I mean, just great numbers all around. Not only the numbers, but it made big clutch saves when it mattered most. Obviously not in game three when they lost uh, in overtime to Ryan Lomberg. But it was, it was really nice. I saw a chip shot over, uh, I think it was high glove. So, yeah, I mean, Vasilevsky, he played great. I love, I mean, like, I hate Vasilevsky, but I love Vasilevsky. He's so good. But, um, yeah, I mean, Spencer Knight, he, he played there too. I mean, it's kind of an issue with Florida. They have three good goalies, but it's weird. It feels like they always start the wrong one. So, Spencer Knight, he played really well, but then, you know, like, they lost. It wasn't really his fault. And just, like, also in the expansion draft too, it's like they're, they're going to have to protect one of them, but they're going to have to protect Bobrovsky because he has no movement clause. So they might lose Drieger, and yeah, it would be a big loss for Florida, but that would allow Spencer Knight to uh, be the backup, so it wouldn't be the worst thing. Maybe yeah. even the starter next year. I mean, obviously you don't want to be paying your backup goalie $11 million, but Spencer Knight has proved to be the superior goalie so far. Yeah, de- playoffs. yeah definitely in this series. And towards like when he first got the net, he's just clearly been more dominant, and I think – from like an outside perspective, looking into the, to the organization, a change of pace when things aren't looking good will see better, no matter how good that solution may be. So like he like maybe like a year or two, we won't see Spencer Knight as good as we see him now, but he still definitely looks better considering how bad Bobrovsky Bob has been. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next series we had was Carolina and Nashville. One of my favorite, personal favorite playoff series is that I've watched this year. So we'll talk about the first game. Caruana was pretty dominant in this one. Uh, they they took it five to two, even though it was pretty close. Like the way around, it kind of exploded in the third period when Caruana kind of took control of the game. Then Jordan Stahl leading the team as the captain with two goals. Just a great showing from Carolina. Yeah, it was a nice game. And then in game two, Carolina really toughens them up, especially. Like after you win by three, they go ahead and win by three again in a in a three nothing win, and then Nedeljevic uh, makes the thirty two save shutout, and they win three nothing. Even though it was a they had one lone goal power play goal by Special Aho in the first, then no goal. So there's a lot of calm, a lot of pressure on the goalies, but no goals allowed on both sides of the net. And then Aho and Fogel come back in late in the third to just shut out Nashville. It was an exciting game. Yeah. Also, I mean, these they had Nashville and Carolina both pretty sure, at least for the beginning, had the biggest crowds in the NHL due to COVID. They allowed the most people in, at least for the first, like, four-ish games. Um, and so, yeah, it was really exciting to watch, like, not even just the game, but, like, just how the crowd reacted, especially when Nashville won both of their games in overtime at home. I thought that was, that was just insane because I haven't seen a crowd like that in so long. Um in game three, Nashville won 5-4. Duchesne wins it in overtime. In game four, Nashville won again in overtime. This time it was Luke Coonan. But, yeah, I mean, watching that crowd, it was just phenomenal. Also, because, I mean, the home the home team won five out of the six times. So, I just thought it was, I just thought it was a great series overall. Yeah, also, both and, of those overtime games yeah. were double overtime. So, like, if you – after COVID, they're giving the fans what they want, more hockey per game. Because it's just an extra 40 minutes on top of the regular time. 
I'm not sure how much we need to talk about the next series between Colorado and St. Louis. I feel like it was pretty, uh, pretty much what we expected a slow St. Louis team going up against a uh, really fast and really, really good Colorado team. Colorado wins the series in four. They won 4-1, 6-3, 5-1, 5-2 in respective games. McKinnon was incredible. The entire team was really good. The power play was really good. And Bennington didn't have an answer for the Colorado offense. And the St. Louis offense didn't have an answer for, for Grubauer much. And the defense just could not contain the power house that Colorado has. Yeah. Also, like, in game two of that series, like, McKinnon just shows how great he could be playoffs regular season no matter when. He's, he's amazing. He scores a hat trick in the second game of the playoffs. And then in the next game, there was this unique play by Ryan Graves that I thought was just spectacular. So, he, coming out of the box, like, the Colorado defense dished it over the St. Louis Blues defense. He takes it, goes around. He has the one-on-one in Binnington. And you know what Binnington does? He goes out, takes the gamble tries to dive in front of him to knock out the puck. But what Graves does is he pulls it behind around and shoots basically because Bington's out of the net. So I would say a lot of this playoff series rested on Bington's shoulders. And Leo, you said like three or four episodes ago when we were talking about Jordan Bennington, how after he signs a contract, he loses a lot of the incentive and then he won't play as well. And that has planned out exactly as you said. Yeah, I mean, I said this months ago. This is why I disagree with uh, franchises giving out, like, big contract extensions in the middle of the season with NHL stars just because what happens is, you know, they work so hard for that next contract, no matter who you are, if you're a star, if you're not a star. You work so hard for that next contract. You give everything you have, and when you finally get that contract, a lot of that motivation is just gone. Like, obviously, you're still there. You still want to win the cup and whatever, but, like, a big part of it's the money too. And well, like Bennington, he got a six by six in the middle of the season. After that, he had a huge dip in his play. And then a little later, he started playing a lot better. And then the playoffs played all right. But I mean, Bennington wasn't really going to single-handedly win this series against Colorado, especially just because, I mean, St. Louis is slow. They're kind of a little bit older. Colorado is really, really good, really young, really skilled, really talented. And so, I mean, Colorado swept this series. None of the games were close. Uh, they were all three or four goal differentials, which is just ridiculous. But, um, yeah, I think not only does it prove how good Colorado is, this also kind of proves that St. Louis, they're, they're already kind of past their prime when they won that cup. And uh, the window is kind of closed for them, in my opinion. Is this a little, is this a little uh, salt from 2019, Leah? A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> So we'll move on to our next series in Vegas in Minnesota, which was one of the most surprising series of the entire NHL playoffs. Not a lot of teams gave the Minnesota Wild a chance, yet they took Vegas to seven, even though Vegas pulled it out. Game one was just a goaltending duo. Cam Talbot was spectacular in this game, even though most of the uh, recognition goes to Mark Andre Fleury for the Bredor-esque saves he was making this game. Cam Talbot was truly seemed invincible for this one and defensive guru and possible Selkie finalist, in my opinion. Joel Erickson-Eck was incredible and 
scored the overtime winner, and Minnesota was up one nothing at this point. Yeah. Also, like going back to the series as a whole, uh, when a, cu- a couple of episodes ago, for a question of the episode, we talked about how like do you think the Minnesota Wild would stand a chance in the playoffs? And we went back and forth a bit. And by the end, I said, I don't think that they're going to win the series, but I think they're going to put up more of a fight than people expect. They have been strong, and they have a chance of doing it, a low chance, but a chance. And so here's ex- basically exactly what I thought would happen. Uh, Vegas would win in seven over Minnesota. Because, like, in the bracket, I had the same thing happening. And then, and then Minnesota really, even though they've been doubted for so long, they come out and they play they play well. They have a lot of stars that aren't given the recognition they deserve, and they play well. Like, even though they lost the next two games to Vegas, Flurry plays great, and the Vegas offense was just a little bit too strong. Yeah. Also, Minnesota went 5-1-2 and two against Vegas in the regular season. So, I mean, not only were people like, oh, Vegas is a good team, they have a chance. Like, they actually had numbers to prove that, you know, they had a legit chance. They went 5-1-2. I didn't say Vegas would win just because of how good they were. I mean, like, they're just phenomenal. They have great depth. Man, they have great skill, great goaltending. That's really what you need. I was a little unsure about Cam Talbot in the playoffs, although he did prove me wrong. He did play really well for the, I think it was the Oilers a while, a couple of years ago. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Cam Talbot – I kind of said, like, he, he's good, but I'm not entirely sure. Minnesota was down 3-1 in this year's day. It did end up coming back, although Vegas blew him out in game 7, 6-2, helped by Yanmark Hattrick. Um, I mean, it was two goals, and he scored an empty netter. But, yeah, Vegas won this one in seven. It was closer than people thought, although Minnesota did take game one. Vegas took the next three. Minnesota took the next two, and then Vegas took the last one in game seven. So it's going to be a very interesting series, Vegas and Colorado, but we will get into that later. And the next series, I believe, is Winnipeg and uh, Edmonton. <clears throat> I have I just thoughts on this series. We saw the dominance of Mark Shifley. We saw the dominance of the best Winnipeg Jets forward, in my opinion, Nikolai Ewers, scoring an overtime winner. Yet we also saw an Edmonton team that, yes, they did lose – three straight games in overtime and got swept by the Winnipeg Jets. But let's be honest here. The Edmonton Oilers should not have gotten swept in this series. Uh, The Oilers offense is way too good for this, something like this to happen. But what's also interesting is that their bottom six is just an absolute mess right now. And the Oilers really have some, a lot of planning to do over the next summer and a half. And I read a report where Ken Holland was discussing that Evan Bouchard and Philip Broberg weren't exactly untouchable, which kind of scares me a bit because their defense is a bit shaky as of right now. Uh, Oscar Clefbaum's whereabouts are a little questioning as it was, I, I believe we saw a report last year that said he may not want to return to the Edmonton Oilers or he's not really sure about it, but They've got, they've got a lot of work to do uh, next year. And the Winnipeg Jets were just better in every aspect of this series. I mean, Connor Hellbuck won Vesna last year. He's the best goalie in the world, and I think we can easily say that. And I was really, really happy with how, with how the Winnipeg Jets played as a team coming back multiple, multiple times in this series. I believe just to tie the game, including a, a 4-1 deficit, Edmonton 
uh, Toronto Maple Leaf style coming back and winning it. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's my turn. All right. This series, in fairness, could easily be three to one Edmonton. They lost three overtime games and they blew a three goal lead in the third period and then they blew another lead. It was just kind of, kind of atrocious. But um, I think I like I last episode I said pretty much I think Edmonton will win this game, but or sorry, this series, but they'll get blown out in the next series only because, right, McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nurse, right, like they're three really, really good uh, big players that log a ton of minutes. They'll play them a lot, and they'll win. They'll get a couple points each, you know, each night. They'll win, whatever. But then they'll just be burnt out for the next round. I was actually incorrect. They didn't put up any points in the first two games, um, so they lost those, and then – they did put up points in the last two, but they were exhausted. Uh, actually, Darnell Nurse played 62 minutes in game four, which is the third most all-time behind um, Seth Jones, who played 65 minutes last year in the five-overtime game. This, this game was well. I think this game was three overtimes, and uh, I forget who the other person was. But, yeah, I mean, pretty much even I feel like if Edmonton did end up winning a couple of these games, they would get whooped in the next round just because their star players would be exhausted. Yeah, but – I think I was the other. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Also, like looking back at the series, I was pretty confident in the Jets dominating, but obviously I stay away from predicting sweeps because that's just to the extreme. But, and then again, this does go to overtime, but the Jets also outplayed them in the games, even though the scores doesn't really reflect that as much. They played better. Like you said, Justin, like on Hellebuick, he's been playing phenomenally. And then also, the Oilers, they're a great regular season team, but two or three guys cannot carry a playoff team. It just doesn't happen. It's not a thing. You, a playoff team is a well-rounded team, and the Oilers were not that. They were less. They had no depth, not very physical, and like you can't just give like three players the whole ice because you got to put six guys on the ice total. Exactly. It's It's – this is why hockey is the most interesting and unique sport on earth because we have sports like such as basketball where you only need like two or three players to just dominate the rest of the court. I mean, we saw the great of uh, Jason Tatum put up 50 against the Brooklyn Nets the other night and the Celtics defeated them. And it was just on the hands of that. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible how one man can change a sport like that much, but with hockey with these, it's, it's, it's a, it's a depth sport. It's a depth exactly. sport. I mean, you can't be triple, triple shifting, quadruple shifting Connor McDavid or his legs are going to give out. You got to play your depth players. You got to have them <laughs> have some sort of impact. That's why Colorado is so good. They have guys like Valerie Nashushkin who was excellent last season and excellent this season you have guys like montreal with, with uh i don't know if you can call uh you know cory perry's been an excellent player for them so far these playoffs and like the regular season as that like the veteran depth player and even boston like i'm not sure if craig smith was supposed to be a top six player i think you guys were expecting jake debrusque to come in and make that sort of impact but craig smith stepped up and became that more of a top six player that Boston fans weren't necessarily expecting and continued his dominance. I don't know necessarily say dominance, but con continued his incredible play from Nashville and continue with two Boston, which fans weren't really expecting, but 
This is a depth sport. Yeah. And then also, I mean, yeah, going back to Craig Smith, I mean, it was like they kind of had a weird line combination. It was Frederick Coyle and Smith for the first like month or so. And then like Frederick, it was like kind of weird. They kind of shifted it around, they had the Bruce play second line left wing. And then he sucks. So they put him on the third line, kind of put Craig Smith up there. And then they got Taylor Hall or sorry. And then they didn't really know what to do. So and then they put Poshnok on the second line just to get more depth. And then they put Smith on the first line. And then it was just like, and then Smith got going and then they got Hall. So then they put Hall on the second line, Pasta back on the first, Smith on the second. And then they put uh, Richie and DeBrusque on the third. But yeah, I mean, what, like what you were saying, it really, like the depth, that's why like the Bruins, what happens is when they rely on their top line too much, they can't, they don't like win. And it's like, obviously they're one of the best lines in hockey, if not the best line in hockey, perfection line. But that's why they had to put Pasta on the second line so they can get more depth just because you can't, can't really play them like all the time because the top top forwards play 18 ish minutes in a 60 minute game and the fourth line plays about 13 ish minutes so i mean like it's not it's not like basketball where you can have lebron play like 40 minutes and like also on defense it's like between like 18 and like 25 minutes for your top and bottom guys so it, it really it really is a depth sport i do agree with you and what, like me and Abe have been saying this all year edmonton will not make it far in the playoffs, even though they are a very, very skilled team just because they do not have the depth. Bass, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nurse, and Mike Smith, who played well, but not Hellebuck, so. Yeah, and just to bring this, like, back around to this specific series, there's just, like, one little point that I want to make. Like, going on to that depth thing, Nurse played 62 minutes, which is third for all time. Yes, it was triple overtime, but still, like, 62 minutes in uh, seven periods is still a lot. And, like, it's why you can't rely on these guys every single time. So let's move on to our next one with Montreal and Toronto, which is still ongoing, which is pretty incredible. And, I mean, you guys are Boston fans, so I'm sure you guys are having just one hell of a time with this, one heck of a time with this one. Sorry for the language. But, uh, uh just laughing at this series that Toronto mainly controlled besides the first game. I mean, they won 5-1, 2-1, 4-0 in three respective games in a row, had the 3-1 series lead, and then lost two overtime games where they were down pretty early, came back, and then lost in overtime to the kids of Montreal. So I want to know what you guys think of this series. I am loving it. As a Bruins fan, I was happy to see either team lose, and it's great. But as, like, a fan, I'm rooting for Montreal. One, because I picked them to win at seven in my bracket challenge as a, like, uh, reach pick. But also because history tells time. I said the last episode, Toronto doesn't win in the playoffs. Like, they've lost seven straight series clinchers, and history will reveal itself. I mean, I just – at first, you know, I was like, nah, you're wrong. Boston just too good. That's why Toronto loses. Maybe it's just Toronto. Like, I mean, what? They've lost the last two against Montreal series clinchers, and then they lost game seven against the Bruins, game six against the Bruins. The year before that, game seven against the Bruins, it's five. And then I don't remember the other two. I It might have been another one. I remember 2013, obviously, they lost in game seven. But I think it's just – Maybe it's just Toronto. Also, Sheldon Keefe made, like, a horrible, horrible, like, he, he challenged a goalie interference. It was definitely not goalie interference. He was just, like, it was, it was, it was really stupid of him. And then 
don't know. I mean, Toronto, they're up 3-1. They lost two games in overtime, Suzuki and Kakaniemi, two kids. Um, they score on Suzuki's goal, actually Cole Caulfield assisted. So really Montreal's youth shining in overtime through this series. But um, yeah, I mean, Montreal, all three games they've won, they've won by one goal. Uh, game one, Paul Byron scored really late and uh, Tavares got hurt. And the next three, Toronto kind of dominated. Even though game three, Toronto went 2-1, they, they really had it. Like, they, they they played really well. Muzzin scored twice, scored one from the point, and then the other one, he joined the rush and tipped the five. Well, it was a beautiful goal. I would recommend rewatching that. It was, it was so satisfying. But pretty much, I mean, Montreal, they're, they're hanging in there. Toronto's the better team, but Montreal, they're younger. They're hanging in there. Actually, I don't know if they're younger, but they're less experienced. Sorry, I, I misspoke. They're less experienced, but – um. Maybe not Corey Perry, but a lot of the other guys are just less experienced in the playoffs. And, um, yeah, I mean, game seven, I'm really excited to, to watch it. Uh, Montreal, they had fans game six. It was, like, it was really low capacity. They had tickets going up to, like, 12000 Canadian dollars. It was, like, 10000 U.S. dollars or something crazy. But, um, yeah, I'm really excited to watch game seven in Toronto. This is the first time they've had a game seven in Toronto for a while. Usually they play in Boston and lose, you know, the script. But, um. Yeah, really excited to watch this one. Really excited to see who Winnipeg plays. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And also, like, even though we're making it sound like Montreal was, was the better team, but really Toronto's been dominating. Nylander scored a goal a game for the first four games. Matthews has been on a tear, but it's just looking like they're getting out-habbed. Okay. <laughs> Do we have any predictions for, uh, for Game 7? Because... Honestly, in my genuine opinion, I think this is due. Maybe maybe this is just too wishful thinking, but I think this might be due for another overtime. And I want to see where that goes from it. Uh, I kind of want to see – I mean, a part of me wants to see a Cole Caulfield overtime game seven because I feel like the Maple Leaf fan base would just explode – as well as the Boston fan base as well, because I feel like you guys are both uh, don't really like Cole Caulfield considering he's uh, one of the best have prospects and they've just been talking about him for like the past like couple, couple seasons. And the second thing is I kind of want to see Joe Thornton get the overtime winner. I feel like that would be a little funny too. Yeah, actually I, I low key, I love Cole Caulfield. He played great for the U S uh, and juniors. Yeah, really is a big part of their uh, championship run. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't like these on the Canadians, but I love Cole Caulfield. I watched him play in Wisconsin. He was, he was great. Um, yeah, I like you. I'm going – I'm going – actually, I'm, I'm going I'm going to low, relatively low-scoring game. I'm going 3-2. Carey Price absolutely steals this one. I'm going – going to go with – I'm going to go with Jeff Petrie, overtime winner, 3-2 uh, Montreal. All right. Well, for my prediction, I took to Muddy Puck. Muddy Puck has them at the Leafs winning at a 70.2%, and then the implied odds is at 66.5. But I think, I think I'm going to take the Habs to win this game. I think it's going to be like a 2-1, to 3-1, to 3-2. I think I might sell on 3-1 to one Caulfield, getting notching at least one goal with an empty netter. Because I don't trust Toronto's defense in a game seven as a given. I just don't trust them. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, kind of getting sidetracked in a way. This this uh, this 
just kind of getting off board, but what would you guys, what would your reaction be if we had, not only if we had a Leafs Boston Stanley cup finals, because it is possible this year, but if it went into overtime and Joe Thornton was the one that got the overtime winner. By oh, overtime. I wouldn't like that because after all of these years, Joe Thor after trading Joe Thornton in like that Art Ross Tart season, sorry. I mean, to be honest, I can't really speak. My team hasn't made the my team hasn't really been relevant in a in a while. But what would you guys think? Joe Thornton got the overtime winner. I mean, in fairness, obviously it was a horrible trade. They trade Joe Thornton for pretty much nothing. First player to uh, be traded and then win the heart in the same season. But uh, the reason they traded him is because they saw what Bergeron could do and they needed Bergeron to be up there and develop. It's the same reason they let Char and Krug go. They need the younger guys to step up. They took a risk in Bergeron and it really paid off. I mean, I'm not, I'm not justifying it because this is such a bad trade. But if there is a silver lining, Bergeron got to play some big minutes and yeah, obviously really developed into one of the best players. And one of the best centers. Hey, yeah. you got Taylor Hall for a second round pick. And Anders Bjork. And we also got Curtis Lazar, who's been playing phenomenally. It's true. But yeah, I by overtime, is that the overtime in the series against the Habs or an overtime in the Stanley Cup final? I'm talking about overtime in the Stanley Cup finals. I'm predicting, I'm predicting I think the Leafs are gonna take this one against the Habs. Um I think I think it's safe to say that. The Leafs are playing with pressure on their back, and the Habs have nothing to lose in this series. But I think when 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 these when these times come, the big guys step up. I think Austin Matthews is going to have a heck of a game. I think he's due. Maybe, but I feel like going on to that Stanley Cup final. I would love a Boston Toronto Stanley yeah, Cup final. That would be series. awesome. That would be amazing. I would love to see it. Cause the NHL would make so much like revenue off that too, because like there's just two major cities like major hockey cities combating and considering they lost like billions of dollars this season because of not being able for fans to go to the games it would just be fantastic yeah but to answer your question i think i would be mad that the bruins would not win the cup but like it would hurt more than like say austin matthews getting that goal because he scores goals like every game Mm -hmm. but like it would definitely sing but not as much as like you'd think because it's still going to hurt to lose in the Stanley cup final anyway, but let's, why don't we move on? Why, why don't we move on to our predictions for the second round? Why don't you guys go ahead? Give me your predictions for the Boston versus New York Islanders series. Boston's already up one, nothing. They got a five two win. Poshnok got the Hattie. What, what do y'all think? All right. Oh, uh, actually, hold on. Before I go into this, going back, uh, watching the Bruins lose a 4-1 in the Stanley Cup final in Game 7 was probably the worst day of my life, if I'm being completely honest. I mean, the Bru- it was so frustrating because the Bruins were, like, by far the better team that game, too. It's not even like they got outplayed. It was like, like they were by far the better team. St. Louis just capitalized on their chance. It was, it was honestly the worst day of my life, if I'm being honest. It was horrible. It was, it was terrible. But um, <laughs> moving on, we got Boston. I have them winning in six over New York. Even if they didn't win yesterday, I'd still have them in six. Huge Boston guy. Um, love Boston. My favorite team, obviously. Um, Adam winning six. New York's a really good team. But, uh, yeah, I mean, going Boston six, they're up 1-0. They played really well last game. They just utterly dominated. But New York stayed in there for a while. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to agree. Uh, I think Ilya Sorokin is the X factor of this series. 
but I think we saw a lot in that Pittsburgh Islanders series, especially when the Islanders aren't playing well. They are not a playoff team when they're not playing well. And I feel like Boston is going to take advantage of that. Uh, Boston five. Yeah, Justin, I'm going to have to agree with you because after looking at how the Islanders played last night, after looking at how the Islanders played against Pittsburgh and how good Pittsburgh was, then looking at Boston versus the Capitals, looking how better, much better the Capitals looked than the Islanders looked in those series, Boston in five. I don't predict sweeps because I just – there's so much – more unlikely to happen, but yeah, Boston five. But what do you guys think about the Carolina Hurricanes versus Tampa Bay Lightning series? This one's going to be intense. Um, Tampa, I mean, they're coming in as a three seed, but only because of injuries. Carolina coming in as the one seed, but yeah, kind of shaky first round, you know? I mean, really, they could have lost if they, they didn't win the last two in overtime. Like, they legit could have lost that first round against Nashville. I'm not taking anything away, anything away against Nashville, but, like, you're the one team near Carolina. You really shouldn't be losing those. And, like, that's why I'm, I'm a little concerned about Carolina. Delkovich, she's not she's not too, too experienced. Yes, she did win the AHL. I forget, I forget what the thing is. Uh, he won, like, the AHL championship last year. But um, Tampa, they're scary good when they're healthy. And they're getting healthy. Tampa and four is easy. Tampa and four. Okay. Uh, I'll say Tampa and five. I mean, I think Carolina gets a game, but Tampa's just the better team in general. And I think with with Kucherov only getting healthier and healthier, even though he got injured in the game against Florida with like the Duclair play, uh, uh, Tampa and five. I, I just think they're – they're way too good for uh, this Carolina team. Well, I hear what you guys are saying. I get where you're coming from, but I'm going to take Carolina in seven. I think this is going to be a nail-biter close series because considering how good Carolina has been, they were great against Nashville. They were amazing throughout the regular season, even when they were playing Tampa. Yes, they didn't have a lot of players due to injuries, but they still played so well. Like, I'm not just going to count out Carolina. I think their struggles their worst part is their goaltending, but I'm not gonna, just going to count out Sebastian Ajo, Dougie Hamilton, Niederreiter, and Svechikov, so many more players that are so good, super underrated team. I'm not just going to count them out like that. Ron Brindamore doesn't go down that easy. I have Carolina in seven. All right, so the next we have – Sorry, I'm sorry. They did Colorado, go down pretty easy. Oh, I'm, sorry, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm talking. They did go down pretty easy when they got swept by Boston <laughs> two years ago, and then they lost again last year against Boston in five. I, I, I mean, like I love Rod Brindamore. He's great, real hockey guy. Uh, just look at his face, you know, a little, little crooked, little crooked nose. But um, yeah, uh, they have proven to go down pretty easily. And I don't – I mean, goaltending, Nadelkovic, he's been, he's been playing well, but I don't know how much – like, how, how much you can keep that up for or how long you can keep it up for. Okay. Listen, that's what we said about Bennington. Whoa. But, Leo, to go back on your points, both of those series were against an amazingly dominant Boston Bruins team with so many amazing players. I think – I wouldn't count that so much as Carolina being terrible, but Boston was just – they had – amazing so much skill so much talent and they got a drive they got their mojo and they kept it churning like that's like they won those series off of the like catapult of them 
like of the last series not being won so easily and they just kept winning and they kept, and they kept winning on top of their wins. But against Tampa with Carolina, I think that's a different story. So for our next series, we have Colorado and Vegas. I'm going to throw an absolute dart over here. Colorado and four. Four? I'm calling a Colorado sweep over the Vegas Golden Knights. I think Colorado is not only the best team in the NHL as they won the President's Trophy, but I think this is their year that they're going to win the Stanley Cup as well. So not only am I saying Colorado in four here, but Colorado's winning the Stanley Cup this season. That's a bold take. That's bold. I mean, it's, it's not – okay, it's not that bold. It's Colorado. I mean, they're really good. But I'm picking Vegas in seven. Do I think Colorado will win? Yes. But do I want Vegas to win? Because if Vegas wins, then Boston's a way higher chance of winning. Also, yes. I'm going Vegas in seven. Colorado, in my opinion, is the best team um, in the NHL. That's why they won the President's Trophy. But also, I mean, they're just really, really good. It's crazy. Like, they have literally everything. Goaltending, check. Defense, check. Speed, check. Forwards, check. Experience, check. Leadership, check. Literally everything you'd ask for in a team, Colorado has. But I'm going Vegas because I really want Vegas to win because then it'll have the Bruins have an easier chance of winning. So N- Nazem Kadri getting suspended in the playoffs check. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. Kadri is suspended. Um, how many? Well, I know he's suspended eight games. How many games have they played since he got suspended? Like one or two? I think, I think he's suspended for like the next like yeah yeah. He's just, he's essentially gonna miss this entire round. Yeah, but that happens almost every year with Nazim Kadri, so it's not like it's out of the ordinary. Yeah, that's true. All right, so but next we got the wait, Winnipeg wait, wait. and Montreal. I haven't given my prediction. Oh. Justin, come on. Oh, yeah. My, I'm whoa, sorry. whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Um, I'm going to take – yes, okay, fair. I'm going to take the pick in between y'all. I got Colorado in six. I think it's a safer bet. But um, I do see Colorado as that so much more dominant team like you were saying, Justin. But I'm not – like – the flower is going to bloom at some point. I don't think he flurries enough to win them the series, but I think that they're going to win in six. I think it's, it's, it's a, probably the most likely at this point, given like analytics and money puck. I mean, can't just base your predictions off of money puck. Like. True, true. But like, I don't predict sweeps. I, I get what you're saying. You can't go wrong saying Colorado, who, which is the favorite, is going to beat Vegas, which is not the favorite. But, like, I'm saying you can't go Colorado is going to win because Money Puck says so. Well, actually, M- Money Puck is more wrong than they've been right. But it's just looking at some, like, in, like, in looking at some analytics and then looking at how good Colorado is. But then Vegas isn't a terrible team. They're not St. Louis. So they, I don't think that they're going to sweep. That's fair. It's fair. Shall we move on to the next one, Justin? Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, Got Winnipeg, Montreal, or Toronto predictions. I think if Montreal wins, I have to. uh, uh, I think it's Winnipeg in five or six. I just think Winnipeg's the better game, the better team here. But if Toronto wins, I think Winnipeg still wins in five or six actually, because just seeing how Toronto is struggling with this Montreal team and how 
this Montreal team, I would say, is pretty significantly worse than Winnipeg. It's it's questionable. It's really questionable. And I feel like Jack Campbell isn't really a starting goalie that the Toronto Maple Leafs need, if that makes sense. I mean, I just don't think he's the legitimate starter for this team with not much time as being a starting goalie in the NHL. Uh, just like sub 40 games as a starter, which is kind of ridiculous. But the offense is kind of, Matthews, Marner are struggling and Ehlers, Shifley are providing for the offense and it's really, really good. So I think Winnipeg wins in five or six if Toronto wins. Okay. I, I, I could see that, but I'm still going to go Toronto if Toronto wins, just because I feel like if Toronto wins, they finally get over that game seven hump. I feel like Toronto, it's really, they're holding them like they're, they're, they're a good team, right? They have the skill goaltending, uh, but they have the skill, they have the defense, they have the offense. I just think it's mental. If they can get over that mental barrier of winning a game seven, uh, which I think they definitely can do against Montreal, although I do have Montreal winning. Um, then I think they can I, – I legit think they can win the cup if they win this game seven, just just because they get over that mental hump, get over that mental barrier. Thing is, I kind of hope they don't win. But um, they do win. That's what I'm saying. Toronto and six if they do win. Yeah. Leo, you practically read my mind. I was thinking the exact same thing. I have Toronto in seven if Toronto wins, and if Montreal wins, Winnipeg in five because Winnipeg has been pretty great, like you said earlier, Justin. But – like just looking at Toronto, I agree with you 100% on how they break that cur- almost a curse. Then th- in their heads they'll be free, and they'll run with it. But so I got Winnipeg in five if Montreal wins, and if Toronto wins, Toronto in seven. That's fair. That's fair. Oh, I also have Winnipeg winning if Montreal wins, just because I think they're better. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening, Justin. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. I'm Abel Lovish. This is Leo Blotner, special guest Justin. And we are Twigs on the Rocks, and have a great night. I didn't want to interrupt you. Thank you, guys.